Why I hate the terms left, right and democracy. Elections in Britain. And responding to a listener on Donald Trump. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent, we we and you stay for the principles. I want to start today's show by laying some groundwork. Um, and if you're a long-term listener, you, you'll you have heard this a couple of times in the past. But because of what I want to talk to you about on today's show, I actually want to break one of my kind of unwritten rules. And I want to talk to you about politics. No, not the impeachment process. No, not Donald Trump. I actually want to talk to you about politics overseas. But I want to lay the groundwork because one of my frustrations come when I talk to American people, when they think politicians from overseas are just like them. When they look at ideologies, oh, well, they're right wing, so they're just like us. And I want to lay the groundworks, because we have had a lot of new listeners recently, and if you are welcome, of some of the reasons of why I get very frustrated with this. The first thing is the ideology and the, the labels that we attach to people. This attachment of, well, you're left wing, or you're right wing. I get really frustrated on this, and it's one of the things I actually think everyone on all sides should agree on, just to get rid of, because it means absolutely nothing. You know, I always say, well, if you're a proud right-winger, what do you believe in? What policies? What principles? Likewise, if you're a proud left-winger, what do you believe in? What policies and principles? Because when you understand the history of these terms, they're not based on some ideology. They're not based on any set of principles. They're not based on any policies of what they're for, what they're against. All it is based on is on a European principle of where people sat in Parliament. It's why if you actually look at the the model of left and right, quote-unquote, you have Nazis on the right. Oh, you evil right-wing Nazi. And you've got communists on the left. Now, when you actually, if you were to write down their manifestos, the principles that they were for or against of the Nazis on the right wing and the communists on the left, would you see a lot of overlap? Would you see they have a lot more in common than they actually think? The only difference, there are slight subtle differences in, in extremity and how long it will take them. But the biggest difference that, and the reason they don't like each other is because they both want to be the ruling power. The Nazis hate the communists because the Nazis want power, and the communists hate the Nazis because the communists want power. It's the way it always works. But if you were to look at someone like Hitler and Stalin, they used different methods, but the end result was still the same. But secondly, it's this understanding of why there is such an embrace of America to be like other countries. There's this embrace, oh, we're just like them. You're not. Factually, you're not. You're nothing like you have no peer. You have no equivalent. 
That doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you, oh, well, you're American. You're so much better than everybody. No, it makes you different and unique. And I think that is something we should celebrate, especially for the reasons that your founders gave you. But one of the things that you've tried to embrace through Republicans, through Democrats, is this warm feeling inside. And it's like, oh, gee, I love democracy. Democracy is so good. How could you speak ill of democracy? Only a hater would do that. Yeah, that's me. I cannot stand democracy. I hate democracy. I don't think democracy is something we should strive for. Oh, oh my God. What? You hate democracy? Yeah, I do. This idea that, hey, I want to run for election. And this idea that, hey, I will say and do anything I want. And if you vote for me, that means I can do what you said I could do. So if I say, you know what? I want to kill every Jewish person. And I run on that. And you vote for me. I can do it. Well, because democracy said so. If I want to take 100% of people who earn over a million dollars because I don't think they need it and it's time they pay their fair share and you vote for me and I have power and I can do it. Democracy is not something to strive for. If you want proof of this, let me go to the time tunnel. Oh, oh, where? Oh, yes, Nazi Germany. I love people who are doing this revisionist history because it's a way of attacking Donald Trump. Oh my God, Donald Trump is Hitler. Donald Trump is a Nazi. Yeah, right. Have you seen Donald Trump? Donald Trump is not Hitler. There are many reasons for this. If you need me to explain why Donald Trump is not Hitler, you're doing it wrong. But the frightening thing about Nazi Germany wasn't, in one sense, it was everything Hitler did. But the more frightening sense to me in some ways was, Everything he did was legal. Everything he did was legal. It's not like you'd say, well, you know, bad Adolf, you broke this law, this law, this law, this law. No. It's Adolf, you were a bad person, you had bad motives and bad intent, and you did really bad things, but it was all legal. How can that happen? How can that happen? Fundamentally, left and right are different. Whether If you take a right-winger, I always say this, if I kidnapped a right-winger from America and I kidnapped a right-winger from Ireland, and I kidnapped a right-winger from England, and from Russia, and from Asia, and I put them all in the room. Do you think they all think alike? Do you think they all have a common theme of what it is to be a right-winger? Now, likewise, if I take a lefty from England, from Ireland, from Russia, from Asia, and from America, and I put them in a container, do you think they're all going to see things the same way? Fundamentally, ideologies are really hard to understand in some ways because there's so many complexities you just look at america look at all the different quote-unquote ideologies you have obviously you have the two ideologies of the parties the republican party the the democratic party then you always have this offshoot when it's the president you have trumpism you have obamaism you have bushism you have different ideologies you have conservative you've libertarian you've constitutionalist You have progressive, you have lefty, you have liberal, you have communists, you have Marxists, you have all these different offshoots. Fundamentally, they are all hard to understand, but it all boils down to one question when you, where you land on that spectrum. It isn't a left or right question. It is a top or bottom question. It is a little, a lot or no question. And that all boils down to one. What do you think the role of government should be? 
What do you think the role of government should be? I am saying this not because I love America. I am saying this because I actually fundamentally believe in the following principles. I actually am a fan. If this wasn't in America, if this was in England or if this was in New Zealand, I'd be promoting this to you guys. I might be promoting American exceptionalism. I might be promoting the idea of freedom and nature's law. But when it came to government, I would promote these principles, regardless of whether they're American or not American. I'm not biased for, well, it's America. It's automatically good. I think I proved that last week when I spoke about some of your really bad days. The idea of federalism. This idea where, you know what we need to do? Yes, we need a strong centralized government. And yes, when I say this to my friends on the right who are like are libertarian and they go, oh, what do you mean you want a strong centralized government? That makes you Obama and Clinton and McConnell. No, you can. We need to understand the linguistics of things. I believe in a strong centralized government. That doesn't mean the strong centralized government does a lot. I believe a go- the federal government should be strong when it comes to Article 1, Section 8. That you have those 18 clauses. That is what the federal government can do. Everything else is left up to the states. This idea, this understanding of federalism. Yes, I will say this. It is a biblical principle. It is a principle based on, I will make you leaders of men's, of tens, of hundreds, of thousands. This idea of, hey, you're a free individual. You have rights. It's not the government's job to give you rights or to take rights away or to have them up for an election. No, the government's job, whether it's left-wing, right-wing, middle-wing, centrist, liberal, conservative, the government's job is to protect those rights. But what we believe in is the federal government has certain powers and everything else is left up to the states. Because government, when it should be there, should work best when it's closest to the people. Not when it's, hey, I'm an American and I live in Mississippi and I I can't get to the president. I, I need to talk to the president or I need to talk to Paul Ryan or, sorry, Paul Ryan. I keep saying Paul Ryan, but he's gone. Kevin McCarthy. Or I need to talk to Mitch McConnell. Do you think you have a chance if you're in the, um, the you know, some rural area in Mississippi where there's like maybe a hundred people living in your town? You haven't got a hope. This idea of, well, no, what you need to do is if you have a problem, you speak to your representative. You speak to the representative in your local state senate, in your local state house, unless it's part of Article 1, Section 8. This is a fundamental principle of why I believe in the Constitution, the idea of states' rights, of federalism. What I want to do is I actually want to talk to you about what's happening in the United Kingdom right now, because there's an election going on, and it's going to happen on December 12th. And I'm going to lay out some of the party manifestos and highlight them. And I want to ask you a question. As I'm breaking these down for you, I want to ask yourself a question. Are they just like us? Are the conservatives in England just like me? Do I believe in some of these policies? Do I share them? Would I like them, if I was part of their party, would I want to vote for them? Because this is the fundamental question of our day. And this is why I do what I do to remind America of why you're exceptional. Because as I break these policies down, spoiler alert, they all involve government. All policies involve government. Hey, I need to take more of your money to spend more of your money. And I'm going to spend it on you. And hey, will you vote for me? Will you give me power? As I'm talking to these policies, I want to ask you to ask yourself a couple of questions. Is that the role of government? Is government the best answer? 
Does government have a track record that says, yes, it can solve these problems? And lastly, the most fundamental important question, which all ideologies boil down to. Because regardless of whether you're far left, far right, top, bottom, constitutionalist, conservative, America, believe in America, believe in England, believe in the monarch, it all boils down to one question. Politics boils always down to one simple question. Who does it empower? Are they empowering themselves to do what's best for you? Or are they empowering the individual? Because this is a contrast that America has yet to understand why they are different. Everything your founders did was based about empowering the individual. Every other country has empowered the government and those in power. through these policies if you agree or disagree with me get in touch with me on social media i'm on twitter at freedom disciple on facebook jonathan dunn 58 you guys are all awesome i love it when you guys reach out i had a, a lovely lady reach out to me this week about pleaky blinders and um, gave me some really nice words of encouragement and i i really appreciate you guys anytime you encourage me um i love what i do i wouldn't change it for the world but you know it's nice knowing when some people reach out and say look i really appreciate the work you do on the show each and every week i want to talk to you about policies of what's going on in the united kingdom let me give you a quick snapshot in case you don't follow uk politics or you're like ah, oh, that's the united kingdom they're all different and they all drink tea over there and things are different how what's going on well let me give you a very quick snapshot a couple of years ago um there was people on the right who were nasty and you wanted to, to leave europe and nigel farage was the figurehead and david cameron the prime minister said look oh look we'll have this thing where we'll give the people a vote a referendum and the people voted and despite all the parties, Labour, Lib Dems, Conservatives, all the leaders, all the big figureheads of the day coming and going, we'd vote to stay in, stay in Europe. We think you should stay in Europe, it's best. The English people went, yeah, screw that, and voted to leave with a really good turnout. Then David Cameron, because he was the one who called it, said, I'm going to, you know what, I'm not the person to lead England. You can give him the plaudits for that, or you can, you know, attack him for that. He was the one who left the time bomb. Long story short, Theresa May became pres or not president, sorry, prime minister. And Theresa May went and tried, got deals. You can fill in the blanks about whether you like her or not. She tried to get a deal with Europe, couldn't get a deal with Europe, couldn't get Parliament to pass it. Long story short, kept going and going and back and forth, back and forth. Missed deadlines, couldn't get it done. She resigned. Boris Johnson won the election. He became prime minister. And he got a deal in Europe. Went back to Parliament. Parliament, yeah, no. We don't like it. And then it's brought us to here, where there's literally a point where they were supposed to leave the European Union on October 31st. Didn't work out. So it's gone back to the to the, the British people. And Boris Johnson has gone to the Queen's, asked her to dissolve Parliament, which he did. And now we have a general election. They have a general election to decide who is going to control power. Boris Johnson as the leader and as prime minister is going to the English people saying, look, I need you to vote for my, me and my party. We need more people in, in their version of Congress, Parliament, to get this done. If you want Brexit, you got to vote for us. Labour is kind of, eh, 
I don't know whether we want it or whether we don't want it or whether we want a second re- referendum or not. What They don't know what they want. Their policies are horrible. They haven't got a clue what they want. Their leadership is shocking. They keep going between, oh, one day it's we want this and the other day we want that. They're not sure. The important thing to remember about English politics, it's like Irish politics, it's like European politics. It's very different to American politics in that it's not a fixed term. So, like, I can tell you when the 2020 election is. I can tell you, I could look forward and if I got a calendar. I could tell you when the 2040 election is. I could tell you the exact date. It's set. In a house, you have two years. In the Senate, you have six. As a president, you've got four. In England, it's not. You basically have a term of up to five years, but the discretion is with the prime minister. So if at a period of time, things are not happy, the prime minister can call for an election. This is what happened with Theresa May and one of the big backfires was she had a majority in, in, I keep saying Congress, that's their version, it's Parliament, their version of Congress. And she had a, all the polls were saying the Tories would win more seats, they'd get a bigger majority, they'd do anything. She went to the British people, hey, guess what? The British people said, yeah, no, we don't want to give you a bigger majority. And she actually ended up losing a lot of her majority. Why? Because she had that discretion. That she took a risk, it fails. That is the benefit or the the downfall of a, of a parliamentary system. It's not a fixed term. You don't have any consistency. To Boris Johnson, when this election happens on December 12th, there could be another election January 12th if there's no you know clear winner or whatever way it works, if there's no forming of government or if the government forms and then guess what, something happens. You could have another election. You could have an election every month, well, maybe not every month, but every two months if if that's possible. So let me give you the policies. Everyone's running around. And if I was, if I was worked in the media, if I was like a journalist and I was to, to write a big opinion piece on what's going on in England right now, I'd say the end of austerity is here. Why? Why would I say something like that? I would say that because I'm looking at the labor and the conservatives. And if you want to just put this into, you know, kind of, you know, what in American terms, labor are the Democrats. And they're led by AOC. But even AOC is a, is kind of, that's an insult to AOC because Jeremy Corbyn is really bad. He's like AOC on steroids. But also, he has laid wreaths at Hamas graves. I don't think AOC has done that. Maybe she has and I don't know, but I don't follow your politics, but that's how bad he is. He also has this problem in labor in England where they cannot get rid of the anti-Semitism. That's happening in their own party. There is every week after week after week, there's different reports of people saying different things and acting a certain way and anti-Semitic ways. And it's really bad. And they can't seem to clean it up. The conservatives, everyone would think, well, they're like, you know, the conservatives, the Tea Party. No, the conservatives are your very moderate Republicans. Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, you know, all those type of people. Those people, you're like, oh my God, really? Lindsey Graham. So what are the policies? Well, they're all planning to spend a lot of money. They're spending a lot of money on loads of different things. So let me give you some of the policies. And I want you to think of, is this something you'd be happy with? They all, Labour want to introduce this new policy of a green industrial revolution. And what they want to do is they want to fund, with the government money, low-income houses to basically extend into energy saving. 
I don't think you have it over here, over there. I'm not sure, but there's this big phase because we have to reduce our carbon emissions and we want to, you know, help poor people keep money. We're adding extra insulation to the house. It keeps it warmer, keeps the, the warm air in and the cold air out. And you basically get an extra facade on, on the front of your house and around your house. That is what they're planning to do. They're planning on, on spending roughly 60 billion pounds. They also are talking about increasing funding for the NHS. The NHS is the national health insurance. The Conservatives are talking about basically over the next six years building 40 new hospitals. About six in the next year. That's going to cost about £2.8 million. They want to give increases to doctors. They want to give increases to nurses. The Labour want to do the exact same, but they just want to do a lot more. They also both want to increase the numbers of GPs. Now, as a healthcare, I know you guys don't really talk about Obamacare anymore in your country because everything, it seems in your country, is Donald Trump and impeachment. Obamacare is still there, still the law of the land. Republicans, are you doing anything about it? Hello? NHS, still been funded. They also want to bring in this policy where they want to spend more money and give free care to those over 65. They want to increase the pension. They want to increase benefits. Labour are slightly different in more Marxist sense that they want to re-nationalise the gas and electricity supply networks. They want to unprivatize water and sewage companies. And they're also talking about, you know what would be a good idea? If we renationalize the rail and the Royal Mail. Because that's the way of the future, baby. We all know everyone loves snail mail. And we all know people love trains. So let's get the government back involved. And let's get the government back owning them. That is one big difference in Labour and Conservative. Conservative haven't really talked about that. They all pledge more money for roads and bridges. I don't know if you have this, but maybe this is the scarring and the memory. Every time I hear about infrastructure, I hear Obama in the back of my head. Roads and bridges, baby. Still already jobs. Still already jobs. Yes, 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 yes. I don't know if that's you, but that, or if that's you as well, but I get that. They all want to increase infrastructure spending because apparently roads and bridges in England are not good either. It's, it's funny how this happens. America, England, Ireland, Europe. Apparently roads and bridges are a big problem. But they all want to spend money. In England, they have this thing where it's probably similar to what's happening in California. They have these pet projects. It's called HS2. HS2, that sounds cool. It's the high-speed rail network. It's going to go all the way from the south all the way up to the north. Basically, they want to spend more money on that. They want to have this thing. It's like kind of like that train that is was supposed. I don't know if it's still going ahead. Actually, you know, on the west coast, what was it going to go from San Diego to California to San Fran or something like that? No one ever went on it, and it was true to desert, and it was all uproar and it went way over budget. Something like that. They also want to increase more money for buses. They also want to increase money to to fly or not to fly to to do different transportations in different cordons um, between major cities. This is where, again, they differ slightly. But do they really? Let me give you the tax policies of both people. As you can imagine, left are like Jeremy Corbyn and Labour are kind of like the left in America. They want more taxes. More taxes, more taxes, more taxes. In England, they are slightly less progressive than Ireland. 
I told you the figure in Ireland that every cent you earn over thirty two thousand euros, is, which is about thirty five thousand dollars, is taxed at forty percent. In England, it's slightly less progressive. England, you're allowed to earn fifty thousand pounds, which is about seventy five thousand dollars, before you pay forty percent forty percent tax rate. At the start of this election, when it was grumbling, you know, and it was quite, there might be an election in England, there might be an election. The Conservatives put out these policies, these feelers, and went, you know what? I think we need to start giving people who work more of their own money. And they said, we want to put out a plan that says, we want to raise that threshold from £50,000 to £80,000. Now, let's just take that for a second. That sounds wonderful. Wow, that sounds like a really big increase in threshold. You're still charging people who earn about $120,000 a year 40% income tax. Is this considered right-wing now? Is this considered freedom? Sadly, what happened is they put these feelers out. Obviously, whatever polls they ran, whatever feedback, whatever focus groups they ran, they're not talking about that anymore. It's all about more spending. More spending, more spending, more spending, more spending. So not letting people keep more of their own money. They also want to increase things like everyone wants to increase the police force. One of the things they want to do is they want to arm them with more tasers. Yay, because that stops a terrorist, a taser. They want to increase stop and frisk and stop, or what they call stop and search laws. They want to build more prisons. They want more, more, as they all call them over there, bobbies on the beast. This is a fundamental principle. This is some of the things that they're talking about. But it goes so much further. Because the conservatives alone have this policy and they're touting about how great they are. If you read any of their manifesto or any of their press releases, it's all, well, you know, one of our big things is we're going to give, if you elect us into power, we're going to give a £4,000 pay rise for everyone who's in the lowest paid brackets. You kind of read that and you kind of go, well, I, I that's good. How are you going to do it? Are you going to do it through innovation? Are you going to do it through, you know, uh, reducing red tape? Are you going to do it through increased competition? What are you going to do? Nope. They're going to do it through governments. Because what they have is they have this thing called the National Living Wage. And they increased it by 4.9% on April 1st of 2019. And they have this ambitious plan, and they'd say it's ambitious themselves, of what they want is the medium income that happens in Britain. They want the lowest among us to earn 75% of the median income. It will be by law, not by advisement, not by working with business, but by law. They reckon that what if they get this to work, it'll be an extra £4,000 per year for the, every person who works in a low-paid job. Is this a conservative principle? Is this a principle we're okay with? Is this a principle that will work? You know, this idea, if we just take a step back on that policy for a second, just look at the way business is going. Is business going towards more people in business or are we going to more towards innovation and, and IT and AI? Let me give you an example. This is a quick example because this actually happened to me this week. You know, when you need to speak to someone in, at a bank or, you know, a utility provider or something, when was the last time you phoned someone on your phone? do 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 Brum, 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 brum. And you actually got a person who answered the phone. Or did you get an automated voice and went, press one for sales, press two for customer services, press three for accounts, press four for being a new customer, press five for anything else. Which way is it going? 
Now, what's going to happen if you continue to increase low-paid jobs? Are they going to, is that just business going to accept that and absorb that cost? Are we going to go, you know what, gee, I really want to help you, but you're too expensive. Everyone has, whether you're the highest in the company or the lowest in the company, you have a net money of where it's financially feasible for you to be paid. If you start pushing that up artificially, not through innovation, not through your hard work, not through anything else, but just because the government said so, what's going to happen? The problem that we have in society right now is we don't have anyone wanting an honest dialogue. Because there are people who would take what I just said and go, oh, there you go, hating poor people. Well, considering I'm poor myself and I'm on a relatively low-paid job, why would I hate myself? I'm not some millionaire and billionaire. But how do you do things? What is the role of government? This is one of their big policies. There's another big policy. And it's about um, housing. So every country, whether you're England, whether you're Ireland, whether you're America, has a problem with homelessness. How do you solve it? Well, conservatives, again, this is conservatives, the right wing in England, proudly talking about, you know, well, we have created, or sorry, we have backed this help to buy program, which has made buying a home a reality for half a million families. That sounds really good. They tell all their figures that, you know, 1.4 million people have used help to buy ISIS. And at last count, 221,405 properties have been used, have been bought using this program. They want to make it easier. This is what they want. They want to deliver affordable homes. They want to give socially care rent. Is that sustainable? Is that government's job? Is that government's mandate? Taking money from you through your taxes and giving it to other people. Now, I'm not far against people buying their own home or wanting to build a system. But what I find very frustrating is right in the middle of this press release I'm reading right now, they tout this policy, which might work better. We've cut stamp duty for 95% of first-time buyers. Maybe that's a policy you could look at. Maybe not taxing people more. The fundamental question here is, what do you want government to do? And if you look at a problem in society, whether it's low-income workers, whether it's not having your own home, or whether it's the health service, your health care, whose job is it to get you on that ladder, to get you a higher-paying job, to get you your own house, to get you better health care? Is it the government's job or is it your job? Should we empower politicians to fix these problems? Or should we empower you to fix those problems? Who knows what's best for you, you or someone else? Because this is what is happening in in England right now. America, they're not like you. And if you're on the Fed, and if you're on the fence right now, and you're kind of going, gee, I get what you're saying, John, but, but I, I don't know. Your Honor, I'm going to make the closing argument. Everyone kind of knows around politics Elections are very important. You're going to start seeing this in in America right now. The primaries are going to start coming thick and fast. And Oh, by the way, in case you didn't hear the news, which I thought was swell, and I just want to address it real quick, Hillary Clinton's over doing a book tour, and I think she's in England somewhere, and she said on BBC4 that people are begging her to run for president. Let me give you, let me use the quote from your president right now. It's fake news. Let me assure you of something. The same amount of people are begging me to run for president as they are begging her. 
And in case you're curious of that number, gee, John, how many people are begging you to run for president? It's zero. Zilch. is nada. No one has ever said, John, you'd make a great president. Everyone knows I wouldn't for many reasons. And I'd get voted out of office so quick. You think they wanted Trump badly the minute he was elected? They'd want me before. They'd want my head on a pike. But that's Hillary Clinton. But everyone knows when it comes to your election, and I don't mean the primaries, the primaries are important, but the general election, where you hold your first major rally is a kind of, it's like a statement. It's your opening salvo. But there's always some significance to it. Is it in a battleground state? Are you appealing to someone? Are you appealing to, you know, steel workers? Are you appealing to a certain demographic? Are you appealing to a certain gender or sexuality or whatever, you know, label politics you have in America? Your first major rally is important. Well, this week, Boris Johnson had his first major campaign rally. And where he had it and what he said was rather significant. Again, ask yourself this question. Are they just like us when I read this to you? Boris Johnson, this week, held his first major campaign rally at an EV factory. An EV, an EV, EV factory. What's an EV factory? Oh, I'll go look at that. Oh, it's an electronic vehicle factory. And he promised to, quote unquote, to unleash a clean energy revolution. Hmm. That sounds like something a conservative would say. He then got into specifics about policies. You see, if they're elected and they get a conservative government and we get past Brexit, we're going to have this green clean energy revolution and what are we going to do well we're going to increase spending and funding for nuclear fusion research we're going to mobilize one billion worth one billion pounds worth of investment in the electric vehicle technology and infrastructure we're going to introduce a new futures home standard from 2025 and we're going to plant a billion tree a million trees and create a new forest in northumberland Does this sound like something your major first battleground idea campaign platform? Is this something a conservative would build around? I don't know what else I can say to you. I don't say this to put Boris Johnson down, to put the conservatives down. But what I do say this for is for America to understand. You can't have allies. England is a good ally. I don't know whether Boris Johnson's a good dude or a bad dude. I don't care. I don't follow politics in England or in America close enough anymore. I'm not that guy. There's plenty of other hosts out there who will tell you what they think about politicians. Oh, I like this politician. I don't like this politician. This guy's a jerk. This guy's a dummy. This guy's good. There There are countless shows, including on my network, who will tell you what they think of politicians, who the good guys are, who the bad guys are. I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I will tell you. I don't care whether you're a good guy or a bad guy or a good girl or a bad girl or maybe, you know, whatever your favorite pronoun is. What I do care is the principles you promote. And yet again, in case you're confused, these are what it all boils down to. Do you want to empower government and yourself or the individual? Ideologies, every ideology speaks about empowering government or those in power. I want to empower you. Does the government... Should the government be involved in these agencies? I will always say no. Because of federalism. Because of my ideology. But also because of the government's track record. What has the government ever ran well? 
For those of you who may be listening and are going, I don't know about the government, it kind of does okay, I would ask you to take a field trip to your local DMV office. If you're happy with your service, maybe then you might want to think about thinking, uh, if you think it's okay and you're happy with that service and you're happy with that level of service in your healthcare, then by all means, go vote whatever way you want to vote. If you're unhappy about it, maybe it's time to start having reservations. Because I believe it is long past due for people in America who believe in freedom to start promoting those principles again. Limited government, self-responsibility, maximum freedom, maximum responsibility. Because if you don't do it, who will? And if not now, when? Are we waiting till 2024? When's it cool to talk these principles? I believe it is critical that we start seeing and start promoting these principles again. Because together, if we do, we will make a difference. show every saturday around 12 noon eastern we're on all major platforms so please subscribe we're on soundcloud itunes iHeartRadio, google play music spotify omni fm stitcher uh castbox you name it we're there search for freedom's disciple subscribe please share it with your family and your friends also if you leave us a rating and review on itunes or castbox i'd really appreciate it it helps with the algorithm and helps new people find the show and then we can get a bigger better principal message out there I want to finish up today by just addressing a couple of principles that I think are very, very important, especially in our world today. It's happening in America. It, in many ways, it happened with Donald Trump. It's now happening in England with the Brexit Party. It happened in Ukraine, where literally a stand-up comedian became president. What you're seeing amongst the people is a f- people who are fed up with politics and status quo politics. If I may steal the line from your president, drain the swamp. DC is a swamp. It is horrifically bad. But it's politics everywhere. One of the most frightening things I see, it has the potential for good, but it also has the potential for really bad things to happen, is if we don't have credibility... If we are not consistent, if we are not the people who continuously put forward a principal vision for America, for England, for Ireland, for the world, based around core principles of freedom, around the individual, around nature's law and nature's God, if we're not putting that out there, what happens when people get a bit frustrated with the status quo, with the swamp? Who are they going to vote to? Who are they going to turn to? Are they going to turn to people who know what they're talking about? One of the things I want to do, and I want to keep a, a common theme about the British election, is there's a party set up by Nigel Farage called the Brexit Party. And they're running a lot of candidates, potentially running a lot of candidates. And some of them may even win. The scary thing to me is when you actually go to their party website, which I'd encourage you to do, it's the brexitparty.org. Look at their manifesto and how little detail there is. You're literally voting. If you're voting for the Brexit party, you're literally pretty much saying you're voting on one issue. You want Britain out of the European Union. 
Now, I agree with that position personally, but even if I didn't, it's the same principle. It's a five-year term. You're potentially voting for someone for potentially one vote out of maybe 100, maybe 200, maybe 500 votes. Would you be okay if they voted the right way on getting out of Europe, but voted the wrong way on every other issue? These are the decisions that people are been forced to make. If you look around the world, there's a lot of angst and anger at politicians. They have a responsibility, not only to the people, but to themselves to ensure that none of these fringe candidates get around and get power. I'm not trying to say stop them, but they have a responsibility to act the right way. Like what's happening in Britain is so sad. When you see former politicians like Tony Blair, former prime minister, going around, well, Britain needs to vote a second time. What, because you don't like the decision the first time you you have to have a second vote? What happened to you just have a referendum? The frustrating thing with politicians on both sides of the aisle around the world is it's all about, well, I'll be okay with it if I win. If I don't win, then I'm not okay with it. It's like our friends on the left right now. Our friends on the left make me want to literally tear my own eyes out anytime I listen to them talk about the impeachment of Donald Trump. Because invariably someone will go, oh, well, the Constitution and high crimes and misdemeanors, you're going to talk the Constitution to me. Seriously. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like you've got a pen. And you went, yeah, don't want that, don't want that, don't want that, don't want that. How can you impeach a president? Yeah, I'll keep that and then keep going underneath it and then scribbling everything out and ripping it up and putting crayon on it, putting paint on it. You can do anything you want with the Constitution. You can walk on the Constitution. You can burn it. But that high crimes and misdemeanors, baby, oh, you're all for that. But when it was Obama and Biden, nah, not a word. We need to be consistent in who we are. And we need to be consistent and calling out our own side. Because it's not about people or personalities or even parties. It's about principles. Because if you get to a point where you have burned all your good bridges and all your candidates don't win, who are good on either side of the aisle, don't do what they say they're going to do or, or flip floppy or, you know, go, oh, the wind blew that way. I'm going that way. Someone will come in and go, hey, I just want to do one thing. And we won't know what else they'll do, but they'll have power. And they could make major changes. Now, it could be for good or it could be for bad. But is that a risk you want to take? Is that a risk you want to take? The second thing I want to talk about is I got an email from someone this week. And this person used to be a fan of mine. Apparently not anymore. Apparently I offended them with the shows I've done over the last three, four weeks. Because I want to read out what they said to me. Dear John, I have long followed your career. I have followed you when you used to do another radio show on another network. To when you joined The Blaze, to when you first got on with Glenn. And I've followed some of your writings. I've always loved... And admired your knowledge and thirst for truth and for the American way. Likewise, I am also a big Glenn Beck fan. I loved what he was doing with the boys. I was a fan from day one. 
However, due to recent events, I haven't been following either of your shows up until recently. And then I tuned in. When President Trump got elected, or before President Trump got elected, sorry, I misread it. There was a rumor that he was going to lose and he was going to start up Trump TV. Well, if he loses in 2020 or stands down in 2024, it looks like you don't want him to create Trump TV because you're doing your best impersonation of it. The defense of Donald Trump from someone of principle is truly saddening and I won't be listening to your show anymore. Nor will I listen to Glenn. I'm not going to answer for Glenn because quite honestly I don't Glenn doesn't need me to answer for him, but also it's not my place. But I will answer for myself on the off chance this individual has tuned in this week. My job is not to defend Donald Trump. I'm not interested in a job on any version of Trump TV, of Republican TV, of Democratic TV, of any politician's TV. My job And it's not even a job because I don't get paid. I'm a volunteer. So can we really use the term job? My job each and every week, which I take seriously, I may do really well or I may do really bad at it. It varies from week to week. But I take extreme amounts of caution and a lot of hard work to ensure that I do a show each and every week for you guys and girls that is based around principles. I am not here to defend Donald Trump. I know there's a lot of conservatives who do not like Donald Trump. And I share some of the reasons. I share some of their concerns. Look, I don't like Donald Trump and his tweeting. I know there are people that listen to this show that like it. They enjoy it. They like that direct line of communication. Cool. I just disagree. I disagree with him on tariffs. Been there since day one. I am a proud free economics person. And I always will be. I disagree with Donald Trump on a lot of things. If I had a candidate and I was political and I was saying, hey, you should vote for this person, I can guarantee you when it was primary season, Donald Trump would not have been my candidate. I don't know who would have been because even though the field had a lot of good people, don't know who would have been my candidate. It wasn't something I was looking at. It wasn't didn't have those glasses on. But here's the truth. I am not here to defend Donald Trump. I am here to defend justice. I am here to defend principles. And sometimes, even if you hate Donald Trump, even if I don't mean like the left, hey, he's Hitler. I mean, if you're literally a conservative here, like, oh my God, this guy is everything that I dislike about America. If you're like, you know what, I love George Washington. I love his humility. I love free markets. I love the Constitution. And this guy just doesn't represent it. And I just don't like his tweeting. Even if you're at that level, the answer is still the same. Even if you have that much dislike for him, does that mean he's not eligible for a fair trial? Does that mean principles stop at his door? Look, I'm not here, and I've said this, and people have asked me in advance, what's 2020 going to be like for this show? I don't know what the future for this show is. I will do it as long as I can, but I won't be endorsing Donald Trump, nor will I endorse any politician. That is not my job. If I may be so blunt... The amount of people who are asking Hillary Clinton to run for president care about who I think should run for office. It's a very small list, and I would say it's zero. 
And I know that. I'm not someone who goes, well, I'm America's Irish favorite Irishman. Everyone wants to know who I want to win in 2020. Everyone wants to know who I want to run in certain districts. I don't care. But I would be the first person to tell you, not only should you not care, you shouldn't want my opinion because my opinion won't be based on a lot of research. Because I don't follow your politics closely. Again, there are lots of people, shows are dime a dozen, who will do that for you. You will have people endorse, not Glenn, because we all know how Glenn's endorsement works out. But you'll have lots of shows, even on this network, this wonderful network. You'll have hosts going, I endorse that guy, I endorse that guy, I endorse that girl. Of course, they'll all be guys, they'll all be white, they'll all be straight. That's a joke. But my job isn't to defend Donald Trump. My job is to defend principles. And the questions I asked a couple of weeks ago when I made the case for principles and when I spoke about the impeachment, I would make them for anybody. I dislike Barack Obama. I dislike him pretty much as much as anyone in... Actually, that's not true. He's pretty down a long list. Maybe he's somewhere around Jimmy Carter area, but he's not Woodrow Wilson. But he's a bad... I didn't like him. Didn't like him as president. I The best day in his presidency was the day he shot Osama bin Laden. And even that came with... Gee, the guy was playing cards. He couldn't even watch in the Situation Room. Even that came with a caveat. That was his best day. But if he was faced with these issues, my argument would still be the same. Because this, for me, is not about left or right or Republican or Democrat or, you know, Trump or never Trump. It's about principles. Which ones do you want to be for or against? And are you consistent? Because I asked this question a couple of weeks ago when it came to justice. Should Lady Justice be blind or not? I believe she should be. I don't care who the person is. I will speak up even when it's unpopular, even when it pisses everyone off. And trust me, I'm good at pissing people off. Whether it's my own family, whether it's my friends, or whether it's you as an audience. And I don't do it just to annoy you. I don't sit in my room going, going, gee, I wonder how I can annoy people this week. Gee, that's it. Let's say that. But sometimes when you're principled first, guess what? That's the outcome. I've defended people on this show and prior to this show when I, before I was doing it. I defended people like Bill Maher. And everyone going, why are you defending people like Bill Maher? Because I believe in a freedom of speech. I don't think Bill Maher should be shot down. I think Bill Maher should be discussed. I think you should break down his principles or his ideas and go, are they good? Are they bad? And why? And let's have that discussion. But every time, oh, you defended Bill Maher. What are you, what are you doing that? He doesn't like anyone. He, he wouldn't defend you. Which leads me to the next point and the last point. This is becoming very apparent that our arguments on the right are getting weaker, not stronger. I hear this argument when I talk about people I defend. Oh, well, they wouldn't defend you. Is that what principles is based on? Oh, well, I'll defend you if you defend me. What about Ben Rice? Do we do something in the world today? And I know America is based on a Christian nation. So let me, and Christian principles, let me ask this from a Christian point of view. When we're told we should do good for other people, is that because, A, we should do good and we should be nice to other people? Or are we doing it because, hey, I'm doing you a favor. You better get me back. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Is that the Christian way? Is that the principled way? Is that the way forward? Is that the world you really want to live in? 
Do you really want to live in a world where you do someone a favor? Or someone does you a favor? And you're always waiting for that. Remember that time I did you a favor, buddy? It's time to give it back. Is that the way you want? Is that the world you want to live in? Because it's not the world I want to live in. I want to help everyone. And it's not. I'm not taking account, well, I did you a favor. I did this and I did this and I did this. Because trust me, that's a petty way to live. It's a really horrible, I, that's my opinion. But to that person, that individual, who I responded to an email, but didn't get a response. If you're listening this week, I wanted you to hear it from my own voice. A voice croaky as it is, as bad as and bad as it feels. I am not here to defend Donald Trump. And also, from a principle point, from a realistic point of view as well, Donald Trump doesn't need me to defend him. Donald Trump isn't sitting in the Oval Office going, gee, if only I could get an Irishman to defend me. If only, it would sound better in an Irish accent. Trust me, he ain't doing it. He never would. And also, because of his character, I'm the last person he would ask advice from. And that's cool. But I ain't here to defend nobody. I'm not here to defend Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Donald Trump, Paul McConnell, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy. None of them. I am here each and every week to promote and defend an idea. Because it is that idea which I am firmly saying to you, the world needs now more than ever. The world always needs an idea of freedom. Is there any way you look at anywhere in the world and kind of go, if you believe in freedom, gee, they got it down. Or is it the exact opposite, where you're literally seeing a situation in Canada this week, where someone actually went on air and said, you people need to wear a poppy. Y'all love the milk and honey from Canada, but, you know, you need to remember our fallen soldiers and got fired for us. Which is the trend going? Is the trend going more towards freedom or is the trend going more to the mob mentality of you don't share my opinion, you're dead to me, get him. Which one do you want to stand for? Because I will stand for anyone when it comes to principles. If someone is wrongly accused, I don't care whether you're a good person or a bad person doesn't matter if there's an accusation and you're innocent i will defend you on principles not because i like you not because i want you to be president not because hey i want to go grab a beer with you but because of principles which one will you choose which path will you follow something just to think about this weekend and if you're listening to this show a long time i already know your answer But these are questions we need to continuously ask ourselves week after week, day after day, and start making the case each and every week. As always, we finish up today's show by saluting those who serve, your your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the American people. Never ever forget the secret sauce to American exceptionalism is the American people, because the sentiments of the Tocqueville America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you all have a blessed week, and don't forget to share this show with your family and your friends. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you.